0: hello and welcome to three wise dms the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about what we do to make our games a success i'm thorne and i'm joined by tony and dave as always This is kind of going to be an interesting one today because it's a little different than what we've been talking about lately. We've had a lot of conversations about kind of player issues and how you want to personally deal with things and personal style. This gets a little more nitty gritty. Today, we want to talk about pacing. What should you expect to get done in in one session of the game? How do we each approach it? Which is, I think, as Dave has pointed out to us, wildly different. And, you know, how do you adjust it if it's not quite where you want it to be? You know, it's all about timing and all about what do you have to do to make sure your party and you are enjoying the session you have? So, guys, to kick this off, I guess, Dave, you want to start with uh, kind of what brought us here today?
1: Yeah, I was thinking about it, and it kind of popped in my head because with COVID, uh, we have been gaming, which has been a, a blessing. We've been gaming a lot, Um I think between uh Tony, you are in just two of the games. Thorne and I are in all three in some fashion. Only two. Only yes. two only two. But hey, what, I like what? having four.
0: I'm actually I'm down again. I usually oh. like to play two DM two. I'm only I'm only DMing one right now. Got
2: to find the time to start the fourth. I would have been in three, except the weather one was close because of the COVID. So there you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah same thing with, with my other one with Thorin, too. We, uh, it was more of a live game only experience, but we've been playing a lot more. So it's been condensed time in between. So what I thought about today, it kind of popped in my head. I said that the way in which we all pace our games is wildly different. Um, I noticed it the most with. I probably the Storm Kings uh, one we just did on Sunday, um, and that was on the heels of a Straub campaign uh, session that we did on Friday. So, uh, so yeah, we're having a bunch of D and D weekends. Um, but the, what really got me was it made me think about the Straub campaign because you guys had arrived in the town of Valaki, and <clears throat> this isn't a big spoiler for the for the module, but. Balaki is kind of the keystone. It's the first big city that the party really runs into when they're at a point where they're now either uh, end of first tier or into your second tier. So you guys are level five right now still, I think, right? That's right. Uh, yes. So you, yeah, Yeah. you get to Balaki and now a uh, 300 different things open up, right? There's a ton of plot points in there. There's a ton of quests in there. There's a ton of NPCs. So I knew going in that there was going to be a heavy level of role play, and it made me think, you know, with pacing, is there ever a point where um, when you're planning for the session, should you plan that I, I definitely want to get this in, I definitely want to get this, I need to have a combat, I need to have some role play, I need to have some, invest, whatever, right? Like the three pillars, is there a point where it's okay to back off because there's not really another way to do Velaki? Other than, you know, what, you roll in and just start killing people, murder hobo, or you roll in and some dragon attacks for no reason, right? Like, it Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. Can Um, you
0: murder hobo, Wallachie? Because it seems rather dangerous
1: to do. (laughs) You absolutely could. You could murder hobo your way probably through all the Barobian. (laughs) <laughs> if you had the right roles for it and you had the right players, because, you know, you could easily get your ass handed to you if you walk into the wrong neighborhood. Right. Yeah, I think
0: you need to have mm-hmm. the right DM, because I think the DMs always got the option of being like, you know, uh, oh, hey, here's some here, here's here's the werewolf lo- The werewolf Lord shows up here. Right,
1: Stra- right. uh, here's Strahd showing up. Yeah, hey, maybe when you go into the old mill, it's not. Oh, well, Dave said it's going to be just the night hag and the two green hags. No, no, now it's all three night hags, right? Like, mm. you know, you could, but it just got me thinking about about uh, planning for sessions, about balancing encounters, and not encounters in terms of balancing the CR, but balancing how much of each thing that we're doing, right, per session. Because mm. Thorin, like the Woodstock Wanderers game the last several sessions it's been here's a combat because yeah. that's all we were able to really get through you know well, and i don't think it's a bad thing but it's really different from what we've seen between the other three two so or whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> however many games are happening right now
0: so i will start i guess um i guess yeah i'll give it a start so i'm coming to a game Uh, My experience is with 5th edition, and this is different with every edition. 4th edition was different, 2nd edition was different. With 5th edition, um, I'm going to plan anywhere from 3 to 5 encounters. Now, we've talked a lot about how I don't really do a lot of pre-planning. So what I mean is, I'm going to make sure that I have monsters set aside to handle to go to get through three or three to five combat encounters on the night, depending on how things go. And as I've talked about, the way I set aside those monsters is I look at okay, what level is the party? How, what kind of things do I want to throw in here to make challenging encounters for this level? Where might they go? Where might different things be? And then I wing it from there. So, but that's what I prep for. Having said that, early on in the Woodstock Wanderers game. Uh, this is a wilderness adventure game. We did get through like five in a night. We played like eight hours one night, like the first night we played. I think we got through like five for the most part, we're getting through three or less. And often, as you mentioned one, usually if it's only one encounter, the way that works is I, I always try to get at least one in, unless I feel like what else went on was really, really fun. Uh, I have mentioned before that I had a game session with uh, one of my groups when I was in college, I was a player in where the party had recovered a MacGuffin at like a low level, like six seventh level, powerful 20 hit die things that gods and demigods of the universe wanted that MacGuffin. Oh, so they you did the Sotheby's auction. Yeah. yeah. We did the auction. <laughs> uh, and that auction literally was, that was like two or three games with no combat. But I remember vividly one session was us hanging out for six hours, talking about how we were going to do the auction. And the DM just sat to the side and just answered questions. He threw it back to the players, the players planned it. And we were, we all had a great time doing that. we, 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 were, we were engaging with the world to kind of like find out how much things were cost and what we could do, but it was very player driven. It was no combat. It was one thing we did all night, and it was fun. I don't, you know, it's one of those things that might not sound fun from the outside, but if you have characters who you're into and you're in a situation, you're having, you're challenged by it and you're having fun and you're properly emotionally invested, doing one thing a night can be a good time. I don't count on that. That doesn't happen very often. More likely, I'm thinking we're probably going to get through three combat encounters in a night. And if we're moving particularly slowly, either because the party was doing a lot of investigation and kind of hanging out in the city or doing like kind of other role play things, I try to get a fight in somewhere. Or you, what you have is situations like in Roll20 where it's a kind of a big interesting fight where that particular though the fight we had last week was um i think there was about 25 gnolls on the board different kinds of gnolls and there was a flind who was you know that's a high enough cr monster to really be a serious threat to the party you know i set them up around the temple the party's coming into the temple and i throw it back to the is okay what do you want to do so it's not just hey we, we we just run in and get swamped all night it's the party approaching the temple and how do they want to approach this thing so it's It's a more engaging, problem-solving encounter, and then it's one fight. I think that's fine. Um, Generally, I'd like to get at least two or three in, though, and that's about the pace my games run at. Uh, A lot of it because I'm not dropping fights on people and I'm not dropping a lot of fights that are like, hey, just mop this up. I'm generally throwing out a scenario and then kicking it back to the party of how do you approach this scenario, whether that's a combat or a role play or just how do you want to go next to advance this, and that is something that runs a little slower because the party's got to think and talk and plan, and I'll often even leave the room. So that's me. I'm rambling a little bit. Tony, what about, I mean, so so this is, I think, the opposite of how you approach a game. What do you think?
2: Well, uh, for my Roll20 game, uh, I could see myself easily preparing minimally four, but more likely in the last game you played seven maps. But here's the thing. As a DM, and as you've kind of just expressed, if the players want to dig into something, you would let them. That's that's free airtime. They're now ripping something apart, and I'm sitting back, and I'm like, okay. Okay, they're really investigating that side plot. Great. Let me give you a little extra there. Okay, you covered this. You can expand upon it. That's fantastic. Um, But it's interesting, though, as a player, and I really do, from my, my experience as a player, has made me a better DM. As a player, I might be like, good God, what are you guys doing? Now, there was a <laughs> s- scene... In uh, Dave's game last Friday, where he introduced a, a, an NPC, who I, immediately introduced, I immediately ascertained him, like, this is a bit character. Like, this character has no freaking bearing on diddly shit. And they were, like, pounding her with all these different questions. Like, everything they come up with, and my character's like, oh, my God, <laughs> guys, I'm going to get the cane and pull you off stage. Now, on the other <laughs> end of this, I was really happy and I say that I'd like to see everybody get involved. Like as a player, I hate to be like, like there's three of us pull running this show and there's like four, like there's three others that are like, eh, and then there's like one who's like really out in space somewhere. That's rough. So when I see everybody together, that definitely makes the player experience uh, better. And it's better for me as a DM as well. How do I, pre- I mean, how much do I really prep? It depends. I'm very prepared. So if you don't get as far as I had imagined, it's fine but I would advise you to really move away from that older mindset of you need to kill a lot of shit to get XP to level up because once you step away from that, your experience is going to be a lot smoother. Dave?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that uh, between you, between both of you guys, what you were just saying, Thorin, especially, and I thought I I was thinking about this when this epiphany happened to me, but what we've been dealing with partly with the Woodstock Wanderers is that we are now uh, level seven. Um, we're pretty powerful. I mean, we got a pretty good amount of magic uh, with us. Um, and we've actually started to surprisingly use tactics um, to some degree. Um, but as you've said in, in previous episodes, you uh, with dealing with how to give XP, right? Because you're still... You know, you're running on the model that we all did, which was XP, as opposed to some of the box stuff, which is like, oh, you you got all your ice cream. And now you're level two, right? Is that you have to throw an enormous amount of crap at us to, in essence, budget out that time to make it worthwhile to say, okay, you guys did enough. So when we're rolling into the temple and we fudge all of our stealth rolls trying to sneak into the forest, we have now... 25 gnolls, and uh, <laughs> three archer gnolls, and the Flind and, and it's just, it's just such a large, an awesome combat, right, just like the tree, harpy den combat, right, it was the whole night, but it was awesome, because mm-hmm. a lot of stuff was happening, the temple fight was the same, but it just, you get into that, because it's so freaking big, right, that, well, there's, this is what we're going to get through tonight, guys, right, well, there is one
0: thing there you mentioned that I wanted to spell. I'm not doing it because of the XP you need. Um, There is an XP issue in fifth edition. Uh, They say they expect it to take six to 10 encounters to go level to level. If you do it by the monster XP number, I swear to God, it's lower than that. That's a lie. I really, (laughs) I really feel like the base book XP experience advancement feels like it puts you at a crawl and it feels like their modules put you on a rocket sled and, you know, not to put too fine a point on this, but I kind of think that's intentional. I, I think that's their way of giving their book stuff a little bit of an advantage because we are, as we talked about in the last episode, I'm really starting to think the game works ideally when, when players are leveling every one to two games, every one to two sessions. Um, it seems like that's a more fun way to play. Although we're we're blistering through it in Tony's game, where it's been one one per session, and that might be a little. A I little think accidental. it's
1: starting to get to a little too much now. Yeah, with this because it's yeah. just you. The problem you get is once you hit fifth and above, uh, such large powers start to open up that you can start to lose track of who am I? What am I doing? What do I have? That's I've found that a little bit. I haven't yet, but the
0: characters I'm running aren't hard as far as that goes. I mean, I've played a druid, a moon druid in fifth edition, which he he I think right now he's still at a fifth. He's in Dave's game that's on hold for now. Really fun. I think actually he's still at six. We were about to hit six, but I haven't even no, hit second.
1: Yeah, you guys had just hit fifth, and then the the plague hit. So
0: no, I think we I think we were just hit six because I know I was just about to open up his his uh, CR two transformations. That would have happened in the next game. So I'm pretty sure we had just hit, we were hitting sixth to start the next game we play. That's not my memory of it, at least. But okay, he hasn't gotten too far. The other dudes at Battlemaster Fighter and the other ones a Warlock, and both of those get all their, they they have a, a small number of things they can do each encounter, and they get everything back on a short rest. So it's not that complicated. There's some choices to make. But it's not like a wizard where you've got to choose from like, okay I've got all these spells to cast over the course of the day. How do I how do I dole them? out? Well, that's
1: like in Tony's, you know, we've run seven sessions and we're level seven and I'm playing a bard. So and it's a college of lore bard. So, like, there's a lot where I'm like, oh, my God. okay All right. And now. (laughs) okay All right. So which is awesome. This is by no means a dismissal of it. But, yeah, you definitely are on a rocket ship. Yeah.
0: But. Uh, But okay, so so, so they bring it back to what what you had mentioned before. I never plan the session around how much XP I want you to get. If I feel like the party's gone through enough stuff and it's time for them to level, I just usually just kind of throw some XP into a session to get them to the level. Um, So it's not that. It's that I do like kind of having an encounter that presents the party with a problem that they're going to approach. Um, Like, so the harpy encounter mentioned was some parties were at the top of a big tree, some were at the bottom of the big tree. Uh, The harpies were descending, people were falling, there was a stairway, the wizard set the tree on fire. It's all interesting stuff, you know? It's just kind of all this... It's all stuff the players have to deal with, and that's more how I'm approaching encounter building. Um, I very seldom just throw one thing at you unless it is a super cool thing like a dragon. Uh, I'm usually throwing a number of things at you. There's usually some some range and some up close. There's usually at least one thing that's kind of fairly powerful, depending on if it's a one like a one encounter for the night or if I kind of want to dull it out a little more. Like that's the Flynn. Like this last encounter was you had a Flynn with like 30 different knolls doing different things, you know, and the Flynn didn't even get down to get to you guys until five or six rounds into the combat. That's a complex encounter. And I think that's fun. And I did it that way for that reason. You know, I'm not trying to accelerate it. I want, I kind of, I'm letting it come to the, come to the players a little bit, which maybe I have heard some players say that's too slow. Hey Tony, you've been in some of the games where players thought it was too
1: slow. Real quick with Tony though, because this is kind of a, a, a 180 thing where Tony then, uh, like in our last game, tone so on Sunday, mm-hmm. we went through a bunch of encounters, but again, it goes back to what we've said before, where they're smaller encounters generally with when we're coming with you. Like, so when we were, uh, we're going after the big bad, the current well, big bad. Well, I'm lazy, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but I've noticed that also allows us to kind of move, boom, boom, boom through the encounters a little bit quicker because they don't have to deal with an hour and a half long combat.
2: Well, you know, in Roll 20, first of all, in the initial sessions I was running, like they would throw three, sometimes four different creature types in an encounter and I'm changing pages and going back and you're like, mm-hmm. save. And I'm like, let me find this guy and save. And I'm like, no, that that's a little too heavy. It's locking there. Um, there was two distinctive points in Storm King's Thunder where hypothetically, if I'd allowed it, you could have leveled up twice in one session. And I'm like, no way. So I. So yeah, it is. So, I mean, really. I mean, this showed previously. You got your hot dogs. You got the toppings you wanted. You got ice cream. Okay. There is a level. All right. Now for the rest of the module, when you finish that, that portion, you're going to level again. And I'm like. I really don't want to bring guys up from level two to four. Like the ending of chapter one in, or the the, the, for the first serious heavy part in Storm King's Thunder um, was really only two encounters uh, when you're in Zephyrus' tower. And they <clears> weren't <throat> that heavy and one you can talk your way through. I mean, these guys should be like, hey, what are you doing? We're like, nothing. We're being good guys. Oh, all right, then. Off you go. All right, well that's one, that's <laughs> done. So. So that was an encounter in Zephyros' Tower that we had. Yeah, no, that's the one before I it. Would have run. So I made a whole mm-hmm. night of gaming surrounding that with Dave's birthday, where I yeah. sidetracked you. But uh, yeah, for everybody who's not aware of this, I am so off script on this. So the, the only spoilers <laughs> are, the, the module we, is still called Storm King's Thunder.
0: So. One of the things you do in combat that does speed it along, but it's not—it's it, not what I what—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of the opposite philosophy to what I do. Is that in your combats you do a lot of things. Party walks into the room, cue cutscene, roll initiative. Um, and even if there's not a cutscene, okay, party walks into the room, boom, ambush, roll initiative, and you're getting attacked right away. Uh, whereas that's kind of my my approach is a little more here's this thing out in front of you. And even when it's an ambush, you've usually walked your way into it. Like the, like the, like the famous uh, red cap incident, you yeah. know, the red caps had their caps yeah. poking out of the ground. The party investigates them. And well, it was part of a slaughter. There'd been a, there been a slaughter. The party was investigating. And then the caps explode from the ground. It's a little more like, I feel like it's almost like I'm doing a little more Skyrim and Tony, you
2: do a little more like devil may cry. Maybe. I mean, I feel that sometimes that, 'Cause I prepare I want to prepare for things that I thought I was gonna run out of material for this week, honestly. And I'm like, oh crap, oh crap. And you guys spent more time in the beginning of the module and I wanted to get to my point towards the end. And I'm like, okay, so scratch this encounter. You know what's in that room? Nothing. Okay, we're getting to the point. Ah. So um I can't I'm revealing all my secrets here. There, I could have easily <laughs> That's the point. Run. I could have easily run two more encounters with you. But I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, do I want to, like, have you fight, like, one or two uh, more—one encounter, fight the boss fight, and then take, like, several— I mean, I can, but it didn't didn't gel as nicely. So Mm -hmm. this way, it ends on a really strong note. I mean, hypothetically, sure, each of your games should be like an episode, which has a beginning and an end, which also advances your total plot. But that always doesn't work out like that. Mm So um, your expectations based on that, I mean, I would say based on fun, you asked about how I view uh, slower advancement. It depends. I feel like if we're not getting items or magic, then we should have done something where at the end of that game I'm like, yeah, like, okay, like that was cool. We we really like when I'm as a player, I'm a move the football kind of guy. So, like, if we get, like, you know, to the 50-yard line by halfway through the game, and then, you know, we have to punt, then I'm disappointed. Yeah, I'm not usually
0: coming into the game with, I want to get to point X at the end of this game. I'm usually coming into the game with, okay, so they're going this direction, and this, this, and this lies in this direction. And then I let them approach it at their pace. And I am kicking the pace, in a lot of ways, back to the players, as far as how do they want to go about things, how careful do they want to be, how much do they want to talk things out. So... I don't mind if like, if we break a dungeon over a couple of sessions, but I generally kind of feel like I'm kind of like, I'm putting that back on them. How do the players want to move through things? What is the speed they want to use? How do they want to to go about it? Really? And we've talked about this a little bit. I don't usually come in with my own story to tell, so I'm not thinking episodically and I don't, it's not my style. You know what I mean? I'm thinking explorationally. What are you finding? How are you finding it? You know, you don't know you're in a, your characters don't know they're in a story. Your characters are actually the story from my mm-hmm. point of view. So I'm setting up, here's a world you're exploring and go do it at your own pace, which doesn't always mean that, you know, we necessarily get to the climax of that session. I you try to do something. And that's why I think a lot of my, a lot of my encounters tend to be set up in such a way where there is kind of a climax built into them. You know, there's the big villain there's like, you know, a, a bigger, bigger fight in it.
2: But I'm letting, yeah, I'm not trying, I'm not actually pushing the pace in my game. Well, the pacing, honestly, is different based upon – this is a very important factor uh, – how much are you playing? So, case in point, if mm-hmm. I am playing yeah. multiple times a week, yeah, no. Nice, relaxed XP. You, you're in no hurry to level. You, learn, you level when you do. Maybe you're leveling. If I'm playing – I mean, we're back back in the day, we were seriously playing three, four times a week. I'm obviously not leveling you every game. That would be ridiculous. But yeah. if I'm playing once, like, a month, maybe I am. So, you know, this is not something to consider. Uh, it really has to feel like traditionally I, I have I have to agree the once uh, a level per two games isn't bad. And, you know, in fifth that would get you to, like, you know, um, that lets you cover a lot of ground. So it is tricky there. But, like, in this whole COVID thing, and now that we're older gamers, yeah, yeah. we have less actual sessions. So I'm not afraid... To give more XP out and reward the players for things like role play, decisions, uh, yeah. solutions, investigation. I
0: mean, really, I think the pacing issue is almost less about it's less about experience I think and leveling. I think it's more about story beats and encounters. So when I, when I think pacing, yeah. I'm thinking how many encounters do we have a night? What makes for a rewarding session in the night? You know, I'm not as worried about the specific experience. Like I said, if I feel like it's been if I feel like it's been too long, I just throw XP in and give them a level.
1: Yeah, which we definitely did in the Woodstock game, where we literally leveled up in the beginning of the one game, and we took time to level up from fifth to six. You know, we did. We there was a little bit of like a dream sequence. There was some uh, some plot, some info dump stuff, um, some engagement role play wise, and then yeah, we we leveled up at that point.
0: I think that was that was uh, that was before the harpy fight, wasn't it?
1: I think so. Yeah. So that's actually. Yeah, was, I think it was that. that it was it was probably the session before when we arrived at that uh, in the, that forest area near the tree but, right. but it was right
0: around right. that that's right that was that was the session before the harpy fight that was the that was the sculpture. that was the before the skull tree. um and another thing going on in my in, in my sessions too is that the timing is cut down whereas before like at the table I feel like it's easier to move faster at a table when you're all there together uh, and you can re- you can kind of feel the room a bit better and everyone's more in so it's easier to move the game along and plus we played longer when we played it in person. On roll 20 it's been Friday nights we start at like 7 we end at like 11 it's 4 hours in and out. Uh, it's hard to keep attention on roll 20 even with the map set up and the monsters ready to go. It's still just yeah you know, they've been slower games as people kind of work through them and that's that's been the other thing when the pacing in that group. That's why we're getting that's why the last couple sessions have been one fight per session I think. It's just yeah. you know roll 20 a group that wasn't made for Roll 20 and, and you know how do you move them along and part of it is just letting them move at their own pace which is a slower you know we basically have
1: been it's been a slower pace well i think that that's actually for me that's that's the way that i have generally approached things now i have found some um some of the limitations to that, depending on the group, but the idea of, I like to be very organic. Most of everything that I do, whatever it is, whether it's music or physical therapy or whatever, I'm always approaching things like, okay, what's happening now? What's what, where are we now? And how does it go from here? As opposed yeah. to this is what I want to do. Um, so I have my session planned out and I have enough that generally you're probably not going to get to the ends of where I I can at least envision and if you do there'll probably be some travel time right so so that'll at least take another couple of random encounters and a camp overnight and we take it up next time but I try to approach it very much here's what's kind of like you Thorne like I have an idea of where the story is or who the players are and, and where you're heading but what do you do? So I think what Tony was talking about was when you guys came upon the, uh, the first were Raven that you have uh, that you encountered in Barovia. And, you know, she has information depending on how much you want to sit and talk with her and do all this. So there was a ton of role play there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of engagement with, with some of the play with the majority of the players, I think. Um, and then, but the, might I knew I was like, Oh Christ. We're going to hit Malaki, and now this is going to be a lot of role play. So I'm trying to, you know, I was I was just letting you guys get through there the best you could without dragging it down to the point where some of the players who um, are great role players, but their characters, like Tony's mm-hmm. character Hawk, is not the guy who's going to go in investigating and talking and figuring out. He's there to like, you know, kill orcs and and drink ale, you know um and count the number blue you know so, <laughs> um so it's 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 finding that balance too so that he's not just stuck there at the table going well this is really cool but let's get some action going right that's the
0: that's the tricky thing about role-playing sessions in general i mean a lot of my sessions where it's slow it tends to be i'm giving the the party time to plan amongst the amongst themselves which means which should be engaging everyone. And the parties that we have, they the party engages everyone. And if I'm the DM there, and if I see someone's not, I'll ask. And I'll try to get them engaged. Role playing's trickier because you often have a situation where not everyone's interested in role play. You know, you'll have to two us, or three characters uh, who are there for it, and the other characters aren't. One thing we did in your game, Dave, was we split the party a little bit. Um, and ironically, I, I mean, my never my ends
2: now. badly. Well, this is okay. but like it, was well, like it works fine
1: in this town because, again, yeah. this, this town is meant to feel like a safe haven, right? It's kind of put together as a safe haven. So the idea that, like, you know, the old idea of orcs attack or something just doesn't fit in it, you know? At least not the first time you roll in the gates. Like, it would make no sense. So there's going to be a level yeah. of of finding what's happening in this town that we keep hearing about, you know? Yeah. And I had dropped a ton of different plot points and NPCs that are going to begin to percolate within Balaki, which you had already started to uh, to, to come upon and investigate, you know. And then as Tony said earlier, I, I'm a ham. So if you guys want to talk to NPCs in my ridiculous accents that literally don't even make sense because they're switching between like Guido Sarducci – and like uh, <laughs> some dude from the Bronx, like, but, you know, you want to talk to him. Let's do it, man. He was from I, Southern Boroughby. <laughs> I love that stuff. I Because for me, we were talking uh, one of these last episodes, what's fun for a DM. For me, that's some of the really fun stuff is just that back and forth, almost like an improv team, yeah. you know,
2: with well,
0: like, that, Actually, for that, me, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, the, the NPC, NPC, NPC ad-libbing oh, is one of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, MP, N, NPC one of my least
2: favorite
0: things. Yeah, NPC improv
2: is one of my least favorite things. Sorry, Tony, go ahead. Um, Again, that's player versus DM. As the DM, you're going off. That's great. I'm enjoying you guys having that moment. As the player, it depends on really my DM, which is a real meta thing to say. But like, if I'm going to be like... If, I, I do think rewards are a very key point in interest in the game. Um. It's got to be story rewards. It's got to be XP. Uh, gold doesn't feel like it's super as important as perhaps it was in other sessions. Items, like, what are you doing? Are you fancying a character's personal story? There mm-hmm. must be some form of reward. That that makes it, um, that makes you say, I want to be at the table. Like, not, I've got to be here this week. I want to, you know, I want to be there for that.
1: Yeah, Tony, I would agree because I've I've been finding that with this group um, that everyone is so involved in uh, in their characters and in a lot of their backstory and in role playing that backstory and that that true characterization that I started to look at this whole adventure and this whole world and go, oh my God, I can tie people in here and here and here and here and here. So I have these points within the the series arc let's say right not the individual episodes but where everyone is going to have spotlight points but it all depends on where you are right so at some points it might feel like some people are are getting more rewarded and others are like hey man what about me but then you know a couple episodes later we're going to see how it how it possibly shifts you know which
2: absolutely has been a problem in some of my games holy shit I mean, like, I would I tell the a-
1: listeners I did give Tony's character literally a championship wrestling belt. I mean, I dropped it like second
2: <laughs> second session. In. I was accused. I was people accused my character of that the WWE that, that match was fixed, but that, <laughs> I refuse to answer questions regarding that. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and with the rewards, if someone feels somebody got a high reward. And then they're like, yeah, I'm very happy for you. And uh, at least in fifth edition, your characters have more powers. So that's not as super relevant. In the yeah. previous editions, someone gets. Like, I remember one game I was playing, and we were all like putzing around. Like I had like a plus one short sword. My buddy had like a plus one long sword. And just on that wonderful table, my other friend rolled like a plus five two handed sword. And it's like, well. <laughs> I've got a freaking uh four tempo, he's got a pinto and you've got a maserati. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this feels balanced. Yeah.
0: No, but it's it is a, that is tricky and it can be it, it is it is something I try to keep in mind. I I don't do a whole lot of individual rewards in part because I don't want necessarily I don't want to necessarily slight the rest of the table by focusing too much on one character, because I've seen I've been on the other end of that sometimes, too, where like one character just kind of becomes like the star of the show. And it's not really, you know, it's it's not really balanced. And that can happen. And it can it can be both that that character becomes the star of the show and how you're approaching things. And also that character is getting better stuff. That character is getting a story. Um, I tend to like to keep the characters more focused on the main story. You know, when in exploring and in basically exploring the world, that tends to be where I want it, where I try to keep them more focused. Yeah. Um, and then reward wise, you know, it's, you know, you throw out some magic items, you throw out some interesting things, leveling. I think leveling is one of the biggest areas of reward and also just pulling off cool stuff. You know, I think the game works really well when you have the players plan something when they plan the big heist and it works. Like we talked before about the about the one game where the players infiltrated the the, the infiltrated the military camp, got in, got the general who was a vampire alone and killed the vampire and then snuck out the back door. <laughs> that was a really cool session, I thought that that, that seemed like that was like, you know, like that was like the big that was the kind of thing we were looking to do. Um And the rest of it is just a matter of what, you know, I really want to hear from the players, what their person, like what they want to do in the store, like as things roll out, what do they want to pursue? What do they want to do? And then we can kind of head in that direction, you know? Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I, you know, it's how I'm tying in the individual story and the pacing is, you know, letting it play out through the game and through what the players decide to do is usually how I'm, how I'm trying to work things out. And then I'll drop in I'll pull pieces into the backstory later on, depending on where it makes sense. Um, yeah, but it really comes back to me like I really just my approach to the game is much more. I'm setting up a thing for you to explore and I'm in, and I'm the world I'm setting up the world but I'm really looking for the players to drive the plot and what they want to do in it. Like I throw plot hooks out, there's things going on, but you tell me what you want to do and what your characters, what you want your characters to accomplish. And I will,
1: I will try to, and I'll provide that is how I'm usually coming at these things. I gotta tell you too. I mean, we've said that a a bunch of times, but I really don't think there's actually that much difference between uh, your style with that and what Tony or I do as well, even though we might have, the idea of where the overall uh, story arc is heading. Um, that could all go to pot. You know? <laughs> that it has. I mean, that could all go to pot. I mean, you know, Tom, would you agree? I mean, it, even though, like, it's funny when you're running a game, right? It's, I know I bought this ticket. And I'm on the train. Right. <laughs> and we're going to get to the site the, and you can go to the dining car and you can go to your sleeping car and you could. But we're on this fucking train and just deal with it. But I got to tell you, I don't feel that way while we're in it. I feel very much like, OK, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to agree to do this. You know, we've even had this right Thor, between uh, some of the more um, goody two shoes Members of the Storm King's party, and some of us oh more. Oh my God! Oh, you got you Mr. Ro- I, like I thought some-
2: I was Mr. Rogers. Please. Yeah, I
1: like some treasure, guys. How about that? You know, um, <laughs> but I don't feel get like, out of that sarcophagus! I, you I don't feel the rails. I don't feel like oh well, we're just in Tony's story. I just feel like we're interacting with a world and we're on an adventure.
2: Okay, I, I revealed a horrible plot spoiler during my game. Not a plot spoiler, my damn spoiler during the, one of the games. And that was a so thorn was like, well, we should have haggled more. And some of the, some of the other players are like, no, don't go into the sarcophagi. We're not here for that. We're, we're on a mission. Oh and I, Christ.
1: yeah.
2: And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know what guys, you're getting about X treasure plus or minus X or, you know, so or plus or minus Y. So you may think you've really twisted my arm and like I've, I've got the treasure sheet. This is where we're working. Maybe you went a little bit above, maybe a little bit below. I've got it covered. <laughs> Don't worry about <laughs> it. I know exactly what you're getting. Um, as far as the rails go with that and pacing, I mean, I want to prevent present out there what should be the most attractive option. And sometimes I put a really pressing mm. option. Like, guess what? This person's kidnapped. Guess what? There's a dragon. You know, like, I'm going to ignore the dragon. Okay, no problem. You can stay in the inn as it's catching fire. That's your call. Right, um, right. But
1: that's going to change your consequences, right? Yeah.
2: And I've been burned, no pun intended, by throwing out some plot so hooks where I'm like, hey, there's some rumors about this down at the mm. docks. And they're like, nah, nah, not having it we're too cool for that like i'd like to try the
1: eggplant
2: yeah (laughs) don't be pete please
1: so what i what i want to throw out as a as a thought too uh because the differences in uh the worlds we're running currently now thorne you said like with woodstock we i got i got new players i got experienced players not experienced players i gotta i'm gonna throw them in the fucking woods and then they're going to run into stuff, right? And then the the plot and the world will develop as such, mm-hmm. right? Now, do you find, I have found this myself, uh, and I'll go back right to session one in uh, in the current Stroud campaign, where it's like the idea of dungeons versus open worlds and how that can adjust your pace and your flow. Because when you corral someone in somewhere, boom, 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 boom room to room to room. Like if you're in the death house, right? You're going to go room. You can't go anywhere else. You're going to go through these floors. Right. So I noticed the pace of those games was flying where now we're on the road and we're going to the, or like in Slaver's Bay, you guys were on the road. And I just said, okay, you're on the road. Like, take it, go with it. Whatever we get through this session, we get through until you get to town. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you guys noticed a difference with that? Where it's as if like, if it's something like a dungeon, and dungeon being anything that is that is uh, surrounded in essence by four walls, that could be a town, that could be a dungeon, that could be a crypt, that could be whatever, as opposed to literally you're out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, does that, in terms of pacing and what you can get done in a
0: well, session? Well, you know, I think there's a little bit of a of a uh, sleight of hand going on there, because the <laughs> trick of pacing... Sleight of, of hand
1: sle- check, you mean? You <laughs> want to roll that. I don't know what's. Well, like... sort of.
0: There's, there's, a, there's a little bit. There's a little bit of sleight of hand because it doesn't matter if you're above ground or below ground. What no, matters no. is how many options the players have and whether no, no, or not no, the options I mean, can do. Like, so. like, like no, I know, like I know, Pokemon, I know. But right, but yeah. actually, we'll come back to the death house though, because even we have talked about the death house. We were in the death house over two or three game sessions, yeah, at least two. Yeah. And we did talk like the first floor did actually take a while as the characters explored a lot of different options to try to find the basement.
1: The investigation, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well, but that was... So, like, that was a game that went a little slower with fewer encounters because we spent a lot of time trying to find out, whether well, there should be a basement. Is it here? Is it there? And that's really what tends to... That tends to impact pace more than are we in a dungeon or are we kind of somewhere with a lot more options. It's what what are their options as far as what they can explore and what they can get out of it. When you remove when you remove the reward for kind of options and doing those things, you get a more streamlined game and play people and players play more quickly. Mm. When you reward that by having some of that stuff play off, you get a slower game and players play more deliberately, uh, more creatively. So it's a trade-off, and it's that's why I mentioned like earlier because I do think I'm I'm trying to do Skyrim more and I do feel like Tony's trying to do a little more Devil May Cry you know, or a little, a little more Resident Evil, where it's, you know... it's. I've been so a that game, that yeah. game scared
2: I mean, the hell out of me when it first came out. Yeah, it, I, I yeah, think it was bad play controls. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's because it's
0: like, it is that difference between am I going through something that might not be exactly on rails, but it's a pretty much I'm going here, going there, I got to do these things and I wrap it up? Or am I doing something where I really have freedom to engage with it however I want and I'll get to things in different order and eventually there's something like there is a plot I'll get to and I don't I don't do it as loose as Skyrim either. There's not that much stuff to do. But that's really kind of the difference. Like a Skyrim, you you know, if you played Skyrim, you can basically spend a day just running around picking flowers and forging swords. Yeah, making and then you can spend another day where yeah. you go through like 20 dungeons. You know, it, sure, it really depends sure. on what you decide to do when you show up that day. It's player-driven. When you're in Devil May Cry or you're in you're in Resident Evil, yeah, you go into a place, you get the stuff out of it, you kill the monsters, you move on. If the story brings you back, it brings you back. You're not usually going back to – you don't – there's not the you engaging with the world at your pace. You're engaging with the world at the story's pace. And I think that's the two different. That's the difference between those two games. And it is different, though. It, they're different play experiences. You know, it's am I am I basically waiting for the game to come to me, or am I, or, or as a player, do I get to decide how I'm going to interact with the game? You know, yeah, I think, that's, I think those are different things. I would agree with yeah.
2: that. Well, I, okay. First of all, I will qualify this real fast with Resident Evil One. I couldn't have stabbed the broadside of a barn with my knife. Changed my mind. Okay. (laughs) It could be RE6, RE4. Which one's your favorite? Oh, four. No question. Four was damn good. I mean, but
0: actually four is what I'm talking about. Or Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry was a great game too. Same same approach.
2: But I would say in the subject of pacing, where you're going and whatever his expectation is, and they're all having fun and how you should roll this, really you need to have a good feel of your players. Like, especially in an in person game, one day when we could do this again, I know it'll be like 2022. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm only rolling now, even in
1: know, live games, I'm gonna only oh <laughs> Well, but I mean, like, we'll all depending. sit around the table with our
2: laptops. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Roll20 technology. The map features are too good. They're too good to let go. Go ahead. They they really are. Um, And now that, like, you, especially if you, if you, when you get comfortable, just like, okay, I want a, I want a devil. Oh, look, there's 14 devils. Grab a devil, chuck it on your map and hide it. Okay. We'll save him for later. Um, I will say
0: smart TVs are cheaper than they've ever been. Throwing that yeah, out there for you guys,
1: I'm building one into the table. It's gonna happen. It, it's you gonna happen. Like a,
0: there, there's like 60 inch smart TVs out there for less than 400 bucks right now. And have you seen some of the map terrains that they
1: built where they actually move, like the the rivers flow. And, like, the stuff, like, it's crazy. These guys are it's...
2: shaming us. What? What's going on? Like, anyway. Thorne saw, like, we saw, like, one, a fourth edition map one time. The guy created, like, a planet. You could, like, <laughs> like there was, like, different <laughs> moons orbiting the place. You were there. I'm like, oh, my God. What was that? Like, an eight-hour setup on the map? No, um, that just insists upon itself. But I've been at games where, like, you show up, and it's like, okay, let's look at our character sheet. Let's have snacks. So there's like thirty minutes of pre start before you actually stuff and I'm looking at my watch like, Oh shit, here we go. And then we break for lunch, at least thirty minutes to eat, and then you know, um but for my Roll20 game, it's like Navy Seals. We're the there. there. <laughs> Here you are, guys. We've got a mission accomplished, and we're covering a lot of ground. Look, I'm still getting my snacks. Bonnie and I
1: were eating some wings while we were hacking up Sarkalot, you know?
2: You can keep pressing, <laughs> you keep pressing those. Uh, that wasn't really him, but that's okay.
1: Um, no, I, yeah. no, sure as hell it wasn't him. My God.
2: It, 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 was, like it, a was, it was his, his possession.
0: <laughs> he was possessing an automaton. We got it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it, so well. it, it was his wind-up toy. We we beat Sarkaloth's wind-up toy.
2: I I love that there's actually a um clockwork kraken monster that's floating <laughs> around. But
0: um, is it, actually, is it Sarkoloth or is it? Because isn't there isn't there actually a kraken in this world called
2: Skaraleth I may be mispronouncing it. Okay, okay, oh. so it is that dude. <laughs> so that no, he is game. a bad. <laughs> he is the worst. Don't yeah no. And proceed with the highest level caution. If you think you are badass, you can do the KO Ken times 20. You think you can't be stopped. Great. There he is. Well, Tone, I would, I
1: would agree with you what you were just saying. Uh, You hit the point that I think we hit almost every single time. Um, We even devoted a whole episode to it, but what are, what are the, what's the makeup of your table? What kind of players do you have? What are they into? And that's going to, that can change what your flow and your and your prep and and what you want to get in a session is gonna is gonna be different, you know. But like Gordon said, you know, you have the whole session where uh, we're gonna make the Sotheby's auction, you know. And I would dig something like that too, but not everyone would. Some people they start, you know, staring off. They'd go to the kitchen. They'd so it all depends. Everybody's you know? on their phone. Yeah. Yeah, like in the Slavers Bay. To be session, fair, that was before smartphones. <laughs> like in Slavers Bay. Impossible reproduce. I it would be half and half, you know. Half the party kinda wants to kick indoors and kill orcs, and half the party is really into investigating and kind of seeing and, and all so bal- finding that balance. But,
0: of, but here's my question. Yeah. Am I being paid to put this game on? <laughs> no. So and to, for the record You um, might be. I don't we're know We're not professional DMs. For. If I was a professional DM, I would approach things very differently. I'm not being paid to put this game on. Everyone's responsible for pace of the game. If people show up without the character sheets, I might say something, but ultimately that's on them, and maybe they're, you know, maybe you got to find a different group. I don't think you know we present this in such a way as it's entirely the DM's responsibility to engage his players, no matter what they want or how they want to engage with the world. I don't think that's right. I think that is bullshit. The players have a responsibility to come in ready to play and engage with the world, and to be active in what they're doing. It's not just the DM's job to drag everyone out of their shells. You know, you, you're going to have a role in that. You have a pseudo-managerial responsibility that you do have, but it's how far does this go? Like, if the players are dicking around all night and not paying attention, the game might not last. But that's not entirely on the DM. That's also on the players. You know, the players got to get there. Uh, maybe not be yeah. drunk at the session. You know, it's so that's, that's never the, happened.
1: I mean, no, I agree. I agree with you on that, Thorne. I I, I, I definitely I, I we've we've talked at length about, you know, that everyone has uh, equal responsibility to bring something to the game. I will say, though, as the DM, as the part the GM, the judge, the referee, whatever game you're playing, uh, it's kind of like a play. Right. You are you're the director. You're the one that is you've said it many times. You're taking on a managerial thing because you are running the scenario. You're setting up the scenario. You have all of the information. They have what you've what you've given, right? So there is a, a a level of the DM does uh does have a level of responsibility of having this something there, right? Because there has to be some even a foundation. You have a foundation. You've curated monsters. Oh, yeah. You've put together the you know the temple and who the temple's for and who the main people are. You, know, see on his but you know, but where this isn't just kind of about
0: kind of the generals, the general ideas of, yeah, you bring something to the table. The DM does have a responsibility to bring yeah. something to the table. Yeah. It gets down to the question though of, you know, a lot of what we, a lot of the words that were just used was, well, the DM's got to know and adjust to the players.
1: Does he or she? Oh, well, I, I that's you know, not where I was going. I was going but, but that's that understanding... That might not be what was
0: intended, but that is the subtext of all of a lot of what we've been saying here. We as DMs take it on ourselves. If the game doesn't work, we feel the guilt. We feel yeah. bad for whatever didn't work. And that is something that you wind up taking on as a DM that isn't always entirely fair. Everyone's responsible for the game. It's a game we're playing with each other. The DM isn't paid to play, to, to be the DM. And I think you have more good well, DMs... I get paid. Huh? I get I paid. You've been, I think you have more <laughs> good DMs, and I think you'd be—it's a healthier way to DM—to yeah. not take all that responsibility, take some of it. But you know, when things aren't working out, it's not always your fault. And sometimes you don't need to adjust to the players. Sometimes the players need to adjust more to how the game is is playing out. I think it's both. I think it's got to be give and take. It's not just—it's got to be give and take. But I think this conversation happens from a point of view that is only, well, hey, that was the DM's job, and the DM did it poorly. Not really the case. This is a social dynamic. And there's two, there's, you know, well, in the D&D game, seven or eight sides to the social dynamic. uh,
1: No, I I think those are all good points. Yeah. And there is there. There probably is that subtext. And you see that when a lot of uh, a lot of DMs talk about, you know, problems that they're having in their games. You know, it kind of does bring this idea of I screwed something up somehow. Mm -hmm. So I think those are really good
2: points, though. Well, you know what? I'm not afraid to come at my players. If they want to sit around, one of the things I did bad, I did poorly in that one uh, campaign I ran for uh, in Detroit where my players were like, oh, I want to sit around and eat hot dogs instead of going out and being superheroes. <laughs> I should have I came at them. And I did that in later games. And in earlier games where I did that, it worked out great. Sometimes the players want to putz around or not be engaged in the story or go off on their own tangent, which isn't even necessarily even a subplot. Now, you have two options there. Create a subplot, and if you could add a little on a fly like maybe Thorn could, great. Or, like, okay, so you're hiding from the plot? No problem. Your bad guys aren't in a timeout. They're like, hey, where are the heroes?
0: Wait, oh, they're, so they're over there. The
2: world. Yeah, <laughs> get them. Or, you know, exactly. Or they, they burn the castle to the ground. Meanwhile, at
1: the Legion of Doom, they won. That's what yeah, happened,
2: Jared. Yeah, they won. You <laughs> get off your ass run. and save the city. Not <laughs> being heroes.
0: The other side to that, I mean I I agree. And actually, if you have players dicking around, attack them. I do, I I do think there is a point to If the players aren't engaging, that is a a, a good solution. Works attack. we're to fight them. But then it's like, okay, what happens after they okay, they get out of the first scrap and they're like, yeah, we don't want to deal with that, we run away. I think in the long term, with players like that, what you need to do is let them tell you what they want to do. You know, it's not it, it. It again, it doesn't come down to you finding a way to drag them by the nose into your plot. It's you need to let them tell you what their players, what their characters, out there for. And if it's for nothing, well, then we're gonna have a night of sitting around. <laughs> and <laughs> because, I've you know, had that because that's the we
2: want to do, it. and they're like crickets.
0: <laughs> well. That's that's on them. They have these heroes. They got to bring it. I want my players to bring a hero to the game that wants to do something. You know, they can decide what it is. I will work with whatever they want to do. But they've got to they've got to at least bring an interesting enough character to come in who has a reason, who who has a goal, who wants to go accomplish something. If nothing else is pressing them, will go do
2: their own thing like a like a reasonable real human being. I had that happen recently where I said to one of my players, I said, you know what? Um, so what are your character goals? And I got crickets, and I'm like, okay, well, I <laughs> want you to really think about this. This was in this campaign. This is the previous game. No, yeah, but uh, you know, I don't think so it's. It's, I mean, it's that's, a good point in the sense
1: yeah. that um, I said this uh, at some point previously. A lot of times, I think players don't realize the the power that they have, so they kind of take a back seat and go, uh, uh because they're used to like throwing like you're saying, they're used to somebody bringing something to them they don't realize that they can engage and and really take on the world we talked about this with audience members or watchers Mm -hmm. right they might very well be a super improv comment heavy player that just never realized that they could do that like they want to go over there and they didn't know that they could go over there
0: it's but it's one of these things too where i think you need to be careful of asking okay what are your character goals because that's a big thing that someone who doesn't who, who hasn't thought through the character might not be able to answer, but they should be able to tell you, okay, you've got nothing else going on. What, what what's your character do? What do you go do? Just sit yeah. in the bar and drink? Well, it doesn't sound very much like a hero. You want to think about that? What what would your character want to accomplish? Well, what's you your sword? second I want, to, I, want, I, I want to go rob someone. Fine, <laughs> let's go do that. Yeah. <laughs> Our, our yeah, really what's your
1: second, second character doing then, though? <laughs> I suppose <laughs> the one that's
2: sitting
1: in the bar, he'll be there. Yeah, the, the, the drunk in the bar stays drunk in the, the bar. That's where he gets.
2: <laughs> a really and common answer I've gotten, and this has happened over multiple campaigns at this point, is when I say that to a player, and they say, "I want to kill monsters."
1: All right, I'm going to throw monsters at
0: you. Well, that, but okay, so you can engage with that the way you can. You can have hunts. You can have. There are things you can do there to to to, to meet that player at that spot. You know that you can adjust your game to provide. I mean, there's a ton of role-playing games that have have hunts you get into, Witcher, Final Fantasy. You can throw some things in there like that. Maybe there's gladiatorial combats, which I think are pretty lame normally, but if you have a player's like that Play to get gladiator ring.
1: You know, I yeah, mean, you gotta it's, it's use like, that sparingly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can
1: start your campaign there. Don't keep it there. <laughs> no, but that was that was fine. Now, the way you
0: did the way you did that was fine, but it's it's this whole. No, idea. Mean, but the yeah. idea is. Let the, you know if if they don't know what they want to do, let them find what they want to do. But that doesn't but not necessarily by saying okay, well, what's your character's goals? What do you want to do? I want to kill monsters. Okay, well, you know, there's some hunts out here you can go do. There's some goblins you can go clear out from a den. You're like that's easy, right? Killing monsters is easy. Just just throw some quests, just throw some jobs out there for them, and all of a sudden they become the kingdom's monster hunter, and you,
1: it's a witcher type <laughs> campaign. The uh, but yeah, I, I would I would say too, like I don't know if uh if somebody coming in, even me. Uh, you know, with the the, the four page backstories, um, I don't know if I would necessarily come into the game saying these are my players' goals because I don't know yet. I'm giving you this is where I'm starting. Um, so I want players to at least give me that much. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, give me something as to like whatever, if there's the tragedy or whatever it is. And then during the game, I've done this several times. Actually, Thor and I have done it with uh, Shannon several times. Um where I'll throw out a little boop and see, you know, you take this bait, you take that bait, you do, or you don't. It's that, you know, that's no skin off my back, but at least I'm throwing it out there and seeing how do you engage with this? And then that's going to tell me what your goals are. And yeah. then it's so much easier for me to go like, Oh, well, yeah, I can completely create the, the some story arc, you know? Well,
2: it's funny because of the yeah. way you and Bonnie set up your characters, Dave. I'm, like, looking at between your four-page backstory and her six. And I'm, like, flipping through this. I'm, like, all right, I have questions that have underlined them. No, no, no. I'm going (laughs) to –
1: let me reiterate for the audience here so they don't think I'm some kind of crazed person. I sent Thorin a a two-and-a-half-page backstory for Bean, my old Dragonborn cleric. Tony, yours I specifically kept to one page and then upended the – the poem that I completely lifted from Edgar. He wrote a
2: poem for my. and <laughs> I'm like, wow. It was not my poem. It was yeah, not I'm my. i was sitting there with my coffee cup reading this. What so you're saying like, is you shit. gave him a
1: one. You're saying you gave him
0: a one-page backstory with a three-page appendix.
1: Yeah, it, it, a poem was appended to it that that dealt very much <laughs> with my character. It wasn't my poem, though. I totally. What was it. the poem? Uh, it was actually from um, it was uh from uh Edgar Allan Poe. Because my character Roderick uh, is based, my bard in the Storm King's Thunder is based. He's literally just Vincent Price from uh, the uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Like that's literally his entire character.
2: Yeah, I was a little blown by blown away by that, honestly. Um, and then I but, found out that Tony
1: is like infatuated with Vincent Price, and then I was like, oh shit, I got this now.
2: My my ex girlfriend, <laughs> like we watched all those movies, uh, but. um yeah, uh, I had so much to work with for that though, honestly. Yeah. Like, some people provided, like, I felt Zhang had a very solid backstory. I felt like the barbarian and the warfare, like, everybody had a solid, but the two of you, I'm like, holy shit. And that really drove like everything. Like, I, I was constantly aware, like, your character's ill. I'm constantly aware of that. I'm constantly having moments in the game where, like, you're like, oh, I do this. I'm like, and you cough up blood. Yeah,
1: no. And that's what I said. I said this before. It's for me, because of the way I like to, to run games, is how I'll bring a player to a game, too, where I'll give you a ton of crap. And whatever you do or don't want to use it's not, I'm not like saying, this is how the world has to be, but I'm just saying, hey, here's a bunch of baubles to play with if you're so, and if you know, if you're, if you're uh, needing a story for one session, you just go, what the fuck did Dave say? Oh, yeah, yeah we're going to fight that guy, you know, or whatever. But it gives me an idea as to like the character and then why my stats are the way they are and why I pick the spells I do and why I, I react in certain. I try the best I can to really figure out like, what is a character? I'm probably some kind of failed actor in some former life, you know, but I really want to like, find out like, what does the player really do? Like, what does this person do?
2: You know? But I mean, honestly, I've never had a player in all of my gaming intentionally take ability score penalties. never. I was so blown away by that. (laughs) Well, the original character presented to me. I'm like, no, bro, you need to have a couple extra points. I can't deal with this. Well, those were those were my
1: roles. That was the unfortunate thing. You know, those were the roles I had. So I took some dump stats in like Constitution, which is really, really coming back to bite me in the ass. But that's where Polymorph will come in. We're trying, we're trying to, we're trying to keep it safe. We're all out there trying yeah, to keep no, it safe. Yeah, no, as you have noticed, uh, <laughs> Roderick is like about 60 feet away from all combat, just throwing things in. <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting choice.
0: party because we have, yes. we have, we have a barbarian who's a blocker. We have my character who's this battle master plays a little more like a linebacker kind of runs around and makes the tackles. Yeah. And then everyone else is a back party member, like a back <laughs> back sniper. <laughs> And the bard who, I don't know, what does Robert do? He like he doesn't really shoot very well. He's, just, he's basically a caster bard.
1: Yeah, he's a, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm playing him very much like a, uh, he's very much a uh, a buff, a party buffer, and a uh, very utilitarian. Like I was just saying before, I think we jumped on today, I took the ritual caster feat, and Tony was a, a, such a lovely DM. He, uh, as I ran around town with our week off, he let me find all of these ritual spells, so I now have this giant ritual book of utility spells, which you never know might come into play. And I'm not in combat. I'm, not, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, guys, I'm gonna sit for ten minutes and cast this. <laughs> oh, ritual spells are great. Yeah, <laughs> as you were, as you were. No, that's that's uh. I mean, I'm, getting, he, I'm getting some more beef. I'm getting a little more beef to me as I go forward. You know, that is one
0: thing that I, that I actually had to do with the other campaign, where I have it, where there's a wizard in my campaign and because they're in the woods for a long time, you guys didn't find many spell books.
1: A befuddled wizard. Yes, a befuddled a not wizard. But, a befuddled wizard.
0: But I wasn't like, so I didn't really think about <laughs> it until later, and he didn't complain about it, and I realized I have not given this wizard anywhere near enough spells. Right, so now right. I've tried to roll, like, more spells into the game, because if you have a wizard in your party and you're not letting them discover spells to add to their spell book beyond what they progress by per level, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: you're really not letting him be a wizard, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is one of his happen, One of their big advantages, yeah. Because you're yeah, sure
2: true. not there for those lovely class features, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah,
0: There's some good class features. I mean, the ability to re- to, to regenerate a spell, uh, uh, the uh, spell slot on a short rest is nice. That makes them... They cast as many total spells as a sorcerer, but they really shine because they have a lot wider selection than a sorcerer. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like
0: my, level
2: six, my level six class feature, I think it was... Um, if you miss with a cantrip, then uh, or they fail their save, then they get half damage, and I'm like, that's great. I don't have one of those style cantrips banned. No, that, that is, and that's
0: actually acknowledged. That isn't that was your your school. That's the evoker school ability. That's yeah, which is yeah. acknowledged as a bad ability. Like that, mm-hmm. it'd be good on another class, but the evokers make attack rolls. There's really very few evoker cantrips that have that 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 have a saving throw that's the problem with it like it doesn't it's, it's just a poor choice on Watsy's part but at the same time the spell sculpting ability that the evoker gets
2: where oh i can throw oh, a fireball
0: and i can exclude my party members is
2: awesome mm, that's okay i mean i really think that's... the power of the wizard there is the yeah oh, obviously spell selection it. it's pretty and... awesome mm. I don't mind hurting my pla- my my other party members. Sorry, that's where we differ styles there.
0: Well, you see what you're not I, thinking of is we have the wizard in our other game who will use that where he'll drop. Oh, okay, because you know as the way everyone combats, things will attack you from behind. It is not that easy to hide your wizard. Things will come after them, and he will drop he'll he'll drop round zero fireballs on himself and exclude himself from the damage.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, which okay, is actually he's, pretty he's neat. Selfishly, you know? that makes sense. Okay
1: self-preservation how about that is that
2: okay
0: well yeah um, a pretty cool i think that's a pretty cool aspect of this of uh of the evoker but yeah the the level six ability they have like is known as that is just not a good one like no one knows what wachi was thinking there it was a poor decision it, it's like everything else does this and then this one spell has nothing it helps
2: yeah it, that's definitely a little rough but yeah the uh the selection of the spells is like getting different powers per se se, it really is uh fantastic where you like you fly like like level three is a huge level for uh the wizard in that spell casting category but um
0: and the ritual casting actually ritual casting once you get into it is is play you know when a player can ritual cast now okay they have all these spells they can cast that aren't combat spells but they're not bound by anything so it's like that's pretty that's that's yeah. a pretty everyone can get that ability, but it's pretty cool,
1: which is so, much cooler for like mages and, and spellcasters because it, it feels like what you would because like, you know, a wizard by and large or some sort of arcane person. If you give them time, you know, any book series or whatever or movies you give them time, they'll take you out. Right. Mm-hmm. But they need that time. And I think the ritual casting is what really kind of makes that shine in terms of 5 uh, d
0: so, you know, we've gone pretty far away from the topic yes, being pacing so. in your mm-hmm. game. I mean, what we didn't get to very well was, okay, what do you do if the pacing isn't where you want it to be? Now, Tony, you hit it a little bit, in that kind of like in the last session, you removed encounters, right?
2: Yeah, no, I have no problem sweeping encounters. Uh, as I said, do not feel like you have to hit all your encounters. We're prepared. We talked about this in a previous session. Talk them away for later. I actually had another floor to the board you are on just in case. We'll just save that for later. No problem.
0: So what do you do? Um, So that's how you adjust kind of the game. But what about like if you have encounters that are just dragging? Do you have anything you do to kind of to speed them up to make sure you kind of get to where you want to get to?
2: I would be careful, like I said, by putting too many different types of creatures in one combat or too many kind of too many creatures in a combat. Uh, While we've assessed that in 4E and 5E, you run into trouble if you try to throw out that cinematic boss because unfortunately, just because you guys can beat up a boss, it's a six to one battle. Does that make you really tough? We exactly. can debate that. Yes, yeah, so you throw out like three meh, and they all have similar abilities, it's not so bad. It doesn't drag as hard.
0: See, that's actually it's funny because I do the I mean, I do build my encounters with a lot of with a lot of bad guys. I try to run them pretty quickly and I try to you know, one of the tricks to running a lot of ba- a lot of monsters is don't have so many abilities on most of them. You know, you can have some cannon fodder out there, some things that just run up and attack, some things that just stay at range and fire their bows. I'll roll a bunch of dice at the same time. So, like, if I have, like, six archers, I'll roll six d20s and just assign them to the archers on their target. So, like, we kind of try to speed it up and go as quickly as we can. And then I do try to limit it to two or three creatures, or one to three creatures that actually have decision-making abilities that I got to kind of be involved in. I don't really feel like having a ton of monsters, it can lead to a longer encounter, but I don't feel like it slows it down. Like, I mean, Dave, what do you feel like, like what that Nolan encounter, do you feel like the number of monsters
1: out there was, was slowing the game down? Um, yeah, in a way, um, but not in a way that made it a slog. Mm-hmm. It just made it that we're blasting through these things. And then like, I discovered my, I discovered that they were undead, and then discovered that they could be hurt by my uh, not turn undead, but destroy undead, which was super awesome for my <laughs> character, right? So we're blasting through, we're dropping fireballs and all this, crushing through legions of these things, and they just keep coming. <laughs> but that's cool because it it's, you know, it 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 the the combat hasn't slogged. It's not just constantly, okay, we're hitting this one, okay, we're hitting this one. There was a lot of movement. There was a lot of um, tactical things that were happening so so no i don't think that at all uh similarly in in the last uh on friday's game uh in barovia um when you guys came upon the the another pack of dire wolves and then i threw a couple uh swarms of these insects in as well just to kind of mess it around at this at a certain point you guys tank the direwolves and i could see this coming okay this is happening and i still have several swarms of it am i gonna make you guys sit there and just bonk bonk? they're not gonna kill you there's no Mm -hmm. tension so oh well they fly away i mean that's that's manageable you know and i think that there's points in a combat where if you can see that that's where maybe that last shot kills them right or they run Mm -hmm. or something happens where okay you guys took care of this but you know i'm not going to make you take out every one of the 114 hit points exactly right I you think know what can dial that tension
0: what's interesting uh, about that is in that fight i remember that fight as a character i was like all right we're dealing with the direwolves just fine these swarms show up i'm like oh they're going to take so long to clear cuz swarms are just really annoying they have damage yeah, resistance yeah. They're, 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 and you have like six of them on the board and I'm like, man, this is just going to take forever of just slogging with the swarms. And yeah, you did the right thing. You got rid of, you kind of right. like, okay, the, the dire wolves are gone, the swarms fly away.
1: They were but more dude, to just create the, oh crap, okay, we can handle the wolves, but now we got this crap flying around too,
0: you know. <laughs> One of the pacing things I try to look out for in fifth edition is the huge damage soaking monster. There's a couple of them and sometimes they sneak up on you. We'll be like, okay, this thing's got like hundred or two hundred hit points. Oh, but it's got a resistance or it's really hard to hit. And oh, all of a sudden, hit points, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. it's like well, I mean, I mean, but even like even like lower level stuff, I've I've thrown stuff at the party that had like 200 hit points. But you've got to be mindful of where is it? You want them if it's got that many hit points, you want them to dump some spells into it. And okay, how long is this going to take from the whittle it down? Because if they can't hit it, or it's got damage resistance, or like it can't be hit except by magical weapons and the party doesn't have magic, now it becomes a slot. Because sometimes you run into the fight where it's like, all right, bad guy hits, you hit the bad guy, bad guy hits, you hit the bad guy. yeah, like, And that yeah. is not a cool fight. Trading like, blows. Yeah. Yeah. It, the Flind was the only guy in that last encounter that had a lot of hit points, and he
1: only was really engaged for like three turns. No, but when he finally did engage, he did exactly what you were hoping him to do, which yeah. is dial up the tension of, oh, shit, this is about to go down. And but my- I go back to the, my uh, one of my earliest campaigns where I had the two-hour mimic fight. Yeah. And, like, it turned out to be super awesome and everyone had a great time. And it just became this, like, just laugh riot of, like, are you kidding me with this thing? But, yeah, like – That could easily have been like, okay, like, you know, if I was doing that now, I would obviously, okay, I can cut it here or somebody comes in or blah, 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 whatever. But, yeah, you could easily turn it into a slog where you're just trading blows and then it's like the end of Man of Steel and you take this awesome flick and then he's beaten up on Zod for like an hour and a half. I don't even know how long that fight was. Like, yeah,
0: I think you could have a lot of villains out there. What you don't want is a lot of villains that hang out for a lot of rounds.
1: Forever, yeah.
0: Yeah, you, you can have a lot. Like it's it, that's to me is when five e combat really slogs, is when you've got the character. It's not a huge boss. Maybe there's two of them. Like they're kind of two, like kind of like like like, like middle boss kind of monsters, but yet they they can take a pounding and they wind up engaging for like ten or twelve turns or 10 or 12 rounds, and that's a slog, I think. I've had that happen a couple times where I'm like, man, this fight's just got to
1: end. Like, no yeah. one's enjoying
0: punching this punching bag anymore. Um, no, but you
1: can generally kind of read when that's happening. And, yeah. you know, always have something in your back pocket as to how are you going to adjust this? Are they are they a person that would run away and retreat? Are they a person that will live to fight another day, ha, 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 Or what, or someone else comes in and they escape? Whatever it might be, you know? Maybe a plane always have a plane shift spell in your in your back pocket. Or a
2: cutscene. I mean I have no problem a running scene. a you're helpless in a cutscene. You're just it's the rules. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. That, that that is very much like Tony
0: runs his he runs his games like a Resident Evil, or like a devil may cry. It's like cutscene, now the fight begins.
2: Well, you know, I don't have a problem running a big combat with a lot of different creatures from a cinematic standpoint but it's got to be like an oh shit moment that's got to be a big moment like you're defending nightstone kind of moment i don't want to yeah. run into th- do that repeatedly nothing makes me groan more on roll 20 when i'm looking at the initiative order and i'm scrolling down and i'm scrolling down and i'm like where am i in his like that's you, you don't want to be there that's a long battle no thank you. Well, don't
1: drop twenty three people in your random encounter, right? Make that the big uh, epic.
2: Uh, so, there, so yeah. So there's bandits, there's orcs, there's wolves, there's goblins, kobolds. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, that's. I and, mean, the other big thing is each
0: give each group a group initiative and try to move them very yeah. quickly as much as you can. If you do do it, that that that's a big thing. You don't want to have yeah. You don't want to have initiative order. This goes on and on and on and on.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely have either one or two uh dm roles maybe three if they're you know three significant people but other than that it's one or two that where i'm going you know yeah
0: i think three three dm three dm initiatives is kind of the sweet spot it breaks up the party but it does not so many that you're constantly interrupting the the party the the party's uh fight in order to run your guys one comes up you have four you have you have you have anywhere from one to six people on it You do their thing, you make their rolls, you move on, you get out of the way.
1: And when you have some of the uh, epic ones, I saw somebody actually build a mechanic for this. uh, Mm. It was like a 5e mechanic, but I thought it was a pretty cool idea. And I think they do it a little bit with legendary actions. um, But where they were saying it, like for Tony, like you love the big boss, right? Mm. Um, And what they would do is they would literally have them two or three times in the initiative order. You know, so it's not, You know, big bad goes, and then there's seven rounds, and then the big bad goes. It's like big bad, couple people, big bad, couple people, big bad. Well, that's how legendary actions work. Yeah, that's what I was saying. They have that a little bit, but I saw somebody actually build a mechanic for any. So it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't have to be a creature with legendary actions. You could just have them several times in initiative or add legendary actions if they were the big bad, right?
0: Or lair actions work the same way. It's the same idea. Yeah. Fact, well, yeah.
1: Those if are you cool.
0: have two or three things in the lair, well, on each individual player turn, you can activate one of them, and they recharge on the on on your up on the uh on the monster's turn.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they did build that in a little bit.
1: Yeah. We haven't played with any of those yet. Well, those are the big guys. We're getting right? there. Those are your <laughs> uh, you know, your 15s and above. I I Tony's got
2: something in mind. <laughs> oh, or, 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 or a few things, but you know, no spoilers there. <laughs>
0: so i mean so let's uh i think it's probably about time to wrap this up a little bit so in terms of like final thoughts i mean we came in here with the question of what should you plan to get done in a night and then okay if it's not on that pace what do you do about it so what do you guys have final thoughts wise what do you plan to get done in the night what do you do about it
2: if it's not getting done know your players know what's going to keep the flow of the game going well do not prepare very soundly. I feel it's a real success when I see the end of my game in sight and I have stuff left over. That's fantastic. I'm not afraid to cut an encounter out. Maybe you have an encounter that you felt wasn't like an A encounter. This was like a B or like a C plus. Okay. Out. No problem. And uh, you keep the pace of your game going smoothly.
0: Well, and just how, and how much do you put do you, how much do you go into it looking to get done in the night? Like, what's your unit that's, of measurement? That's,
2: that, 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 that's a very super difficult question to quantify because, I mean, like I said, like last game, I prepared seven maps. Mm. Um, and sometimes you can find that you're spending a lot, you're roll you're top heavy and you spend all this time on the first three. So you, you, you don't you don't really want, need to feel that everything has to be used. Just, just, just take some of that great stuff and save it for later. But I guess, I
0: mean, earlier you said it was basically you kind of, but you do have, so the unit of measurement isn't necessarily your number of encounters, but you were saying you want to get to like an episodic conclusion on the episode, right?
2: Precisely. Every, every issue of my games is really like an episode in the series. And also when I'm saying encounters, it doesn't necessarily have to be combat. I love a good skill check. I love a good trap scenario. Mix it up. Throw, so you I throw a riddle. Throw a riddle in there. Now,
0: so do you come into the game with like you kind of have your you, do you kind of have like your 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 climax encounter in mind and kind of just work to get them there?
2: Absolutely. That that's, that's pretty much it for you. That's ideally my stopping point. You get to yeah. the 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 season one of the mini bosses in the season and then uh, you know that's a good place for everybody to break for the night. It feels like you know, something's really been accomplished, or at least it's a very solid and clear goal like you were trying to do along with the plot.
0: So it's like – so it's kind of like you have – you come into the night. We're going to get to this. This is my goal. For, this is my episode climax, and we're going to have somewhere between – we're going to have some things in between three to five fights overall in the night, but I'm going to cut down to make sure I we get to that climax tonight, assuming the party doesn't
2: derail us. Yeah, and as I said, I want to break that up so it's not three – maybe not three to five fights. They could yeah. be a skill challenge, traps, a puzzle, a riddle, uh Something to that effect. I love I, I come at Dave's character all the time. I'm like, you better start talking to these guys or you're fucked. Well you lost eleven persuasion that's that I'm rolling with. And you've really um, talked your you you've talked your way out <laughs> of some serious of, shit. Of literally everything so far
1: like I mean I've said before, I'll probably put something together. Uh but I've been refining my uh session notes outline that I use. <clears throat> and that kind of gives me a sense of what what I can, what I have uh, capable to do for that session. Uh, so in terms of flow, though, I'll always have uh, certain secrets or clues that are available, depending, and the, the the characters will find them as they do. I always will have a um, generally some sort of random encounter that uh, that they could trigger. I'll always have some sort of planned encounter. Uh, I'd like to have at least one combat of some case of some kind in. In a session. I mean, I think you need at least one for people to start rolling some dice. Um, but then I'll let the 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 table kind of dictate where are we going and how long are we spending in areas. Like I said, what kind of started this whole thing was the the idea of you guys got to the town of Velaki and yeah. that opened up a lot. So that's going to be role play, and that's not necessarily bad because there's going to be plenty of sessions where it's literally mm-hmm. nothing but crushing through things and fighting and all of this kind of stuff. So let your players kind of dictate how far they want to take certain things, um, but have certain things planned. And you can always end, like Tony was saying, on a climax. You just have to find the right time to end it. Like I did uh, this last session. I wanted to have something. So I had it where it's like, "Ooh, let's finally talk about vampire hunting, you know, and it was a nice little cliffhanger that for was the good. next episode because yeah. I like the I even name each of my sessions. I give it a title. You know, because I like that idea that's of the very cinematic and yeah. the season arc and stuff. I, I dig that, you know, it helps to focus my attention.
0: So. I guess for me, and I think you know, I think I think you kind of laid it out for, for what you're doing, Um, I always want to end the night on some kind of either a climax or they've gotten somewhere new we're going to explore next time. So I mean, it's either a climax or a cliffhanger. The climax is not always. I'm not always coming into it knowing kind of what that climax is going to be though. You a lot of times it's, hey we just had a tough interesting we just had a tough encounter, we beat those guys. It's a long rest time and I'll break it there. Um, I'm looking to get done generally one to three things a night and those and as Tony was saying those three things aren't necessarily three fights, but you kind of have I'll I rephrase that one to three things over a four hour block. I mean and then figure like it's like for every like extra hour you have I want to get another thing in. Um, it can be one thing if that thing is big and cool and the players are engaged and they're making progress and it feels rewarding. Uh, Usually I'm shooting for about three things. Occasionally a combat runs long. I don't take a lot of action necessarily to speed that up if the players are playing at that pace. If it's me, I will start, you know, I'll do my best to shorten things up and move and play faster. Uh, I am counting on the players to kind of, I'm letting the players pace themselves is the way I'm approaching it. Um, but I usually, you know, the, and we're usually the players usually have a feel of, okay, so we did a big thing. We had a fight. We won usually, or we lost. If they lost, you definitely end the session <laughs> and, mm. now we, and now we, now yeah. we wrap it up, but it's, it's more, it's one to three things depending on how intricate and, and and complicated and how much planning the players are doing in it. I do consider time spent planning to be a thing. Yeah. So I don't feel like we're dragging if the players are talking about, okay, here's how we want to do this next thing. If they're talking among themselves and planning I don't interfere with that. I let that go, and I let that play out, and I let this play out naturally. Often that means if it's a if the players are engaged in planning and they're coming up with something intricate and they're going to do it, it's usually the plan, then the encounter, maybe something after that. But that usually takes up most of your night because if it's something intricate, the flight's probably pretty intricate, <laughs> and then that winds up being like you know once you throw in some some soft time here and there for food and whatnot, it winds up being like four hours. Um, ideally I'd rather play for six to eight hours and you know, then you're going to get more things done, but that's about high pace things. So mm-hmm. I'll say one to three. I'm not usually looking to push that unless it's my fault or unless there's something going on that shouldn't be going on. And I want the players to feel like they figured something out in beat something or solve the problem. That's the kind of payoff I want the players to have more than so much. Hey, we're, here's the end of today's episode. Here's the climax of the story. I'm more interested in the problem solving than the storytelling. That's for me. You know, it's the kind of, and, it's, a, and it, it's, you know, it's different. And I don't think, you know, and I think they're different and they engage, engage different kinds of players. I definitely don't think a Matt Mercer is out there telling you to play a game like it's Skyrim <laughs> it, mm. it, it, and don't necessarily be episodic focus on kind of what, on, on the, on player exploration, but that's a little bit where I come down.
1: So <laughs> I think we should end this episode on a big climactic cliffhanger too. I don't know what that is, but <laughs>
0: tune in next week to find out whose game got TPK'd. I to roll up new
2: characters.
1: Sons.
0: Always ready to roll up new characters. I still want to get that Eberron game going. I just got to find a time for it.
2: Well, if everyone guys disturb Thunder, you'll have a chance. Actually, War I um
0: I, I did order Tron the Trondheim Kickstarter. That could be fun. That's that's uh that's adventuring in kind of a in a Viking Celtic mythological type setting.
1: Oh, that one that yeah uh, yeah you did. It's yet? not it's not
0: here yet. They're still they're fulfilling the Kickstarter, but different kind of approach. I've always wanted to do a Celtic kind of game, so maybe maybe next maybe let's find out what kind of game we do next. So that's it for tonight's episode of three wise DMs. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought of this episode or what kinds of problems we can help you with. You can get in touch with us at three or by emailing three at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Feel free to reach out to us there. Let us know what you think. Subscribe to the episode. You can find us anywhere podcasts are served. We'll see you next time. With three wise DMs.